Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I've got Scott Ellis, my friend, the Grand National Calling Champion. He's with Woodhaven Custom Calls and Apex Ammo. He's on. He's a pro staff manager. He's also the Mossy Oak National Pro Staff Manager, Old Tom Elite Team. Uh, he's he's uh, basically done everything you can do as a turkey hunter. He's an unbelievable caller, a, a veteran not only caller in the turkey woods, but up on the stage. Uh, Scott, I'm anxious to have you on the podcast. It was great to see you in Nashville. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, and it's always a pleasure to be on your podcast and talk turkey with you, my friend, especially especially after sharing the woods together in Mexico a couple of years ago. So it's always cool to have that kindredship, if you will, our friendship, and then be able to now name with put a name with a face and a personality and how much fun we had together that makes the podcast even more entertaining i think so i'm excited to be here with you buddy that's yeah you know one thing it's um always fun for me to take guys like yourself and um that in other words i'm used to taking people that need a little bit of an assistance you know as far as where to set up you know where to move why we're doing what we're doing it was so fun to go with you and basically just follow along and watch how you do it and (laughs) you know get to learn and watch you work those birds i've had you know on on my youtube channel i've had your gould's turkey hunt um you know it's gotten a bunch of views and i i had several people come up at the show and and um they said oh i've seen i've seen your outfit with uh scott ellis uh hunting gould i said yeah he was he was calling those birds he's like oh i can't believe how much they gobbled (laughs) <laughs> it's like a Miriam on steroids is what I say. <laughs> yeah. They're a blast, yeah, sure. those little turkeys. They're a blast. And the gobble is is second to none. It's like, a, what did I say on the video that time? A Miriam in slow motion. I love it. I love the old Gould's gobble. Very unique. Yeah. Very unique for sure. Uh, buddy, we're going to get into a lot of things today. Uh, I'd kind of like to start out uh, – Last year um, at the NWTF convention, or correct me if I was wrong, maybe it's two years ago, your son, uh, Jake, uh, he, he won in his division. Mm-hmm. I guess it was the youth division. Um, <clears throat> and, and then That's he right. did not call this year in the competition. I didn't get a chance to ask you why he didn't, but I was curious why he didn't call this year after winning the year before. That's exactly right. He won the Pulse division in the Grand Nationals last year, Jay. And okay. um, he uh, he's a man of many trades, old Jake Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, he played the game. He practiced hard. He won the thing. And this year he opted just to uh, take a break from it and has expressed interest in calling next year in the, in the junior division. And... Um, for that to happen, in my opinion, for him to win going away, he's going to have to step up his air game a little bit. Um, a little brief history. I think Jake placed three years ago with friction. Then he went to air, which would have been in 16, did not place at all, didn't get a sniff, and called very well with all mouth calls. And then we went back to the drawing board and said, let's just call a spade a spade and run friction against friction because none of the other kids are running air. And he, uh, we practiced, and he won it with friction. So this year he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not motivated enough to get my air game up to where it needs to be. So he says, I'm just going to opt out this year, and I'm ready to go shoot some turkeys, and which is what we did last weekend, actually. 
Yeah, for sure. It was fun watching that uh, on Instagram. You know, Scott, as a as a competitor yourself, uh, and you've been doing it a long time, calling on stage. Uh, you know, obviously, you would love to see your son. You know, obviously, you saw him win in the right. first division, and I I was there when he did an amazing run. <clears throat> And I think this can translate to lots of other activities and lots of other sports, being a parent and wanting to see your kid do good. And then when they do have some success, it seems like parents go into overdrive and all of a sudden they're calling in every single contest or they're, you know, they're playing club ball, they're playing, you know, in other Travel words, ball, travel golf. Yeah, it yes. turns into all of a sudden they're in the NBA or they're, you know, a tour pro and it's like, you know, if the kid wants to do it, let him do it. But do you speak as a parent a little bit about how I'm sure you were like, come on, buddy, you know, don't you want, but how do you rein that back and say, listen, this is his deal. Talk a little bit about that. He is, um, he is his own, his own man, his own boy. And um, the biggest and most prolific aspect of what we do and what we in Jake and I's relationship is that he is my best and number one hunting buddy. And that will always be first and foremost in our lives. Um, as far as what we share together and, you know, as, as uh, extracurricular activities, if you will, you know I mean? We will always be in the woods, sharing the woods together. And that's the only thing that's important to me. And I, I would never want to push him away from any aspect of that being my number one hunting buddy because I pushed him to call on the stage of all things. Um, would I love to see him pick it back up and, and be successful, which I know he can because he has a decent teacher. Um, <laughs> I would love to see that. But ultimately, all I want to do is go hunt with my son and share those experiences together and those times in the outdoors and the woods, and I've got that, and I'll never lose that, hopefully. And uh, it's not going to be me forcing something on him that he doesn't want to do, Jay. It's just that simple. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's pretty neat that, you know, and that's one thing about competitive calling that's a little bit different than a lot of things where y you can still be, you know, a great caller, you can still enjoy calling, but but maybe him or even other kids or even other guys for that matter, maybe they just change focus and, you know, calling on stage and calling to perfection, if you will, isn't at the top of uh, the chart of what they want to do, or maybe time is an issue where, you know, maybe they don't have the time to devote to it, uh, or maybe right. they just flat out say, I, I just want to be able to call turkeys, and if, if I can call turkeys well, I don't really care. Um, in your own calling, you know, you have gone through the gamut of, you know, becoming a competitive caller, winning all sorts of titles, and you know, across the board and contest, where do you think you stack up in your own calling as far as competitively? Um, I know you've been doing a ton of educational stuff with your app and YouTube channels and some of the stuff, but, you know, where do you fit in the spectrum of, you know, wanting to be on stage and, and how, how important is that to you these days? Well, I'll be 44 in July, and as you spoke, I'm not here to to boast or brag, but I've won a ton of stuff, three grand national head-to-head -head titles, a U.S. Open outhooting title, um, probably the crown jewels of what I've done and winning in like 15 different states, blah, blah, blah. That being said, um, it's, uh, I, I guess you could basically say I'm on my A game 
Um, I'm going to continue to call, but there are there are other things that are taking a little more of a priority in what I do. I'll always stay polished and stay focused on the calling aspect of it, regardless of whether I'm on the stage or in the woods, because when I get in the woods, that's where it's really most important to me, is to being able to execute a call and give a call at will without even thinking about it, just being a turkey hen in my mind and saying, I'm going to cut, I'm going to bubble cluck, I'm going to purr, I'm going to whine, I'm going to fight him purr. You, it goes into autopilot. And that's where calling competitions over all the 20 years I've been calling has really made a big difference in the woods. And that's probably a whole other podcast, but realism kills turkeys. Um, you witnessed it. I witness it every year, not only with myself, with other friends that are fantastic callers that are taking their calling to another level. Um, so it basically, it, the calling competition is not taking a backseat, but I may not be hitting it as hard as I have in recent years abroad, but I will be ready to call in Nashville next year as, as I run around with a call in my pocket year-round anyways, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. I've been doing this for a decade of it, just literally not putting my calls down anymore. And that keeps you polished for not only the woods, but for the stage. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I'm kind of running around in circles. I apologize, buddy. But I'm just, I'm, I'm going to keep my A-game polished and, and call when I want and need to. But ultimately, um, I just want to get in the woods and be sharp for the turkeys and be sexy for the toms. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I got to witness that firsthand. Um, and, and, you know, it's, like you said, being able to make a call, whatever call you may need at any given time, it's much like someone that's, you know, a professional golfer or what have you that, you know, they need a, a flop shot, you know, and, and they need the ball to go super high and all of a sudden land quick and have some spin on it. And the right. very next shot, they may, you know, may need to do a chip and run and let the ball run out. I mean, um, how, a fade, how a draw, you, I'm with you, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, work, work the ball. How important is it in your mind to be, I, I know as someone that, that loves turkey calling and loves to learn and, and, and what have you, there's so many of us out here that are just okay and we can kill turkeys and we enjoy it. In, in your opinion, I mean, is it better to be good at a lot of things or is it better to have a couple of calls that are your go-to calls that are, you know, fairly realistic and um, I guess my question is, if you have two or three calls that you're really good at, you just try and get better at the other ones, so do you focus on your strengths, or do you think it's important to be able to make a broad spectrum of those calls and just be okay at it? Um, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's, it, you know, we're in a, we're in a generation of, of, of uh, instant gratification. I want to kill a turkey. I want to learn how to do it in five minutes. I want to do it now. And I've got a lot of tools out there, Mouth Call Magic, my new app, Turkey Tech, um, my YouTube instructionals that do help shallow the learning curve, if you will. But as a whole, I think if a guy is, is middle of the road on all turkey vernacular, he is going to be a more successful turkey hunter than just the guy that is a really good cutting and yelping kind of guy. That's all he knows. And the other calls he may not be able to produce at all, but if you're good at, or decent even, or mediocre at clucking and purring and, and fly down cackles and cutting and yelping and soft yelping, if you're, if you're just middle of the road on a multitude of calls, in my opinion, you're going to be way ahead of the guy that can only do one or two calls really, really, really good. Because that's, you know, your, your bag of, I always talk about that bag of tricks and how deep that bag of tricks is and how many tricks you got in that bag. 
And the more you can say to a turkey in his own language, the deeper and the broader that bag of tricks is. So definitely, if you can at least get decent to mediocre at six or eight of the, the main calls of the wild turkey, then you're going to be way ahead of a guy that is only good at one or two things. In your own calling career, Scott, at what point in time, you know, did you realize that you were better than most with, with the diaphragm call? And, and was it something that you really worked at and then you all of a sudden realized, man, I'm pretty good at this? Or was <laughs> it, you know, something that you just, you, you, you worked and worked and worked to be proficient and then all of a sudden one day you woke up and realized, you know, I actually, I have it. Um, well, I mean, coming from a guy that's 43, that's been calling for 30, 33 years, I mean, I was 10, 11 years old, we'll call it, when I bought my first mouth call, and um, it, I just picked it up. I have a little bit of musical ability. I play guitar. I sing a bit. Um, that helps, always helps, because you truly can associate the sound with the melody, with the with the rhythm, with the cadence, you know, you can, you can depict it a lot better than a guy that's tone deaf. Um, that being said, I, I did a lot, believe it or not, back in the old days, back in the late eighties, when I started doing this and calling and learning to hunt turkeys, I would record myself with little, with cassette tapes, had a little, little radio shack recorder and started recording and started and listening to some old school stuff from way back, Rod, old Rod Latham Penwood's album that had him on it. And, and some old Quaker Boy stuff with actual turkeys on it from way back in the day, and started studying turkeys and recording myself against turkeys. And I don't think I woke up one day and said, man, I got it. It just it came really natural to me. And what really was the turning point for me, my friend, is when I, because I grew up hunting public ground and still hunt public ground all over Florida. And when I was in the woods as a young fella, you know, a teenager, a 10, 12, 13, 14-year-old kid, and I'm in the woods killing turkeys where grown men can't kill turkeys. And I'm calling, I hate to say this, when I'm calling turkeys away from people when you're in competition with other hunters. So, which, you know, not by design. I just, you'd be in the woods, you'd be set up on a turkey, you'd have a guy yelping over here, a guy yelping 200 yards over there. And that turkey, time after time, would ended up in my lap. I said, man, I must be pretty good at this stuff. <laughs> so, I, from there, at 17 years old, just a brief history lesson, I think I'd been calling for about seven years. That's when I took my first leap into the competition ring, and that was the Florida State calling competition. And I was 17 years old, which back then that was still the juniors. And I, I call, I mean, I'll never forget it. It had a, a deal in the, the Caller magazine, which was a, a paperback book that came out with the NWTF, a separate quarterly magazine that came out. And it was all based on competition turkey calling. Amazing, amazing back in those days how popular calling competitions were. But I remember finding the contest in that book, learning of the Florida State Calling Championship, calling the man's number that was the POC, and saying, hey, sir, I really don't have the money to call in the juniors and the seniors. Can I just call up in the, in the senior division? And he chuckled, and he said, well, absolutely, young man. You can call in anything you want to. We'll allow you. Well, long story short, I ended up at the River Ranch Resort in 1992 and called in the seniors, and I played second place in the senior division to a fellow by the name of Steve Kazmierski, who was, I believe, a junior Grand National Champion and at the time was the guy in Florida to beat. So I play second to him in the Florida State, and uh, I guess you, I want to say the rest is history, but there's a, there's a long story of my calling history because I went in the Army for six years and left Florida and didn't call for a few years and truly realized I didn't have a clue about stage calling, 
but I, I thought I did until I got my butt handed to me in the mid-90s at the South Carolina State by the likes of Mark Prudhomme and William Terry and Mike Mayfield and Joe Drake, a lot of the old-timers that, that had been calling for many, many years. And uh, I quickly got schooled and learned I needed to up my game. And, and uh, it goes on and on and on up into the, to the early 2000s where I kind of started building my own calls and stepping up my game and everything. But, but ultimately, to answer your question, sorry to get long-winded on something that's kind of not that important, it was, a, uh, it was ultimately – Jay, for me to do what I did and get as good as I got started with wanting to kill more turkeys. And that would probably be the best way I could end that whole long dissertation of my calling history. I wanted to kill more turkeys, and I wanted to be better than the other guys so I could kill them, especially on public ground where I had competition. Yeah, it's good stuff. And that Florida public ground can be some of the toughest. Those, some of those Osceolas are nasty, aren't they? They really are. I mean, they just get pressured so bad. There's a lot of people, I won't mention names, that claim turkeys can't be call shy, and I'll argue that to my grave. That's not the case. They, they can be very call shy when they're being hammered like these birds down here get hammered. When they hear a hen sound and they know it could be associated with danger, a bird becomes call shy. When he gets bumped so many times for coming in to a sound that resembles a hen turkey and it's not a hen and they get human contact, they can become call shy. And there's no better proof of that than the pressure these birds receive down here in Florida. So, <clears throat> Scott, uh, we have a mutual friend, Bo Brooks, and you have <laughs> gone out of your way to really help Bo. Um, and, and I've seen leaps and bounds of improvement on his calling, and, and you've, I mean, just bent over backwards helping him and, and, and what have you. Um, in Bo's calling, when, when you first started hearing him call to, you know, he's progressed now, what do you think some of the biggest things that you were helping him with that, that finally, you know, took hold? As, you know, did he change his whole style or where he, he got the air from? Or, or how, yes. how did you go about kind of helping him with that? Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes, and yes. Um, wow, Bo is my – he is one of my protégés, man. He is a great young man. I am proud to call him a friend. You know, Jake and I completed a father-son single-season Grand Slam with Bo and Casey Brooks out in Oregon last year with Miriams and Rios. Um, yeah. I can't say enough about the Brooks family. They're awesome people. Um, Bo was – I immediately spotted talent and heard talent in his calling. He just got an ear for emulating any kind of wild game, whether it's a duck, a goose, an elk, obviously. He's a very successful competition elk caller as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old now. Um, and we, the, one of the biggest things I started teaching him is call building and, and, and in not necessarily sitting down with him, but talking on the phone through video chat, learning to make different cuts, learning to put different side tensions, different back tensions, um, getting him away from a certain cut that he thought was what he needed to run. I said, no, you need to try to run this. And uh, teaching him to push air differently um, was a huge leap. And we discovered that together in Oregon when Jake and I were out there with him hunting last spring in, um, in Oregon. And uh, when he started putting air to the call differently, it, it, it created a completely different sound and came to life. And incidentally, Bo called him in his first senior open. And you got to give the guy so much credit because he doesn't get to travel around and call in a lot of contests because he's in Oregon. There's, there was the Oregon State, which he won hands down going away. And outside of that, he has, he has no stage time. He has no ability to get on the stage and kind of feel the pressure, feel the nerves, learn to, comp learn to um, um, embrace the nerves, if you will, and learn to control the nerves. And he shows up in Nashville, and um, long and the short of it is he missed the cut this year for his very first year by one stinking point. 
And I will say this for him, he did not call nearly as good as I know he can call. So that if you go if he goes away from anything with that, he uh, did not do what he can do with a turkey call on the stage that day. And to be that close to the cut line, one point away and almost make the cut for your very first time, he's extremely proud and extremely excited, and he knows he's got a little work to do. But And if you ask Bo, and another great correlation, we're talking all this competition calling, Bo in the last two years when he stepped his game up, if you'll ask him next time you talk to him, I promise you he'll tell you since he has increased his calling ability and his skill set for calling, he is killing and calling even more turkeys than he did before. And he's a great hunter. He's just a natural-born killer. He just gets it done. He knows how to – and that's not just turkeys. And that's elk and mule deer, um, all the game that species – sheep out there out west, all the game species out west, ducks, geese. He is an amazing hunter. And he, um, when he stepped his game up and his calling level up, he is killing even more turkeys and calling even more turkeys. And I think you would attest to that if you asked him. Yeah, he's, he's something. I just think it's – uh amazing to see the how far he's come and i know you have other um people that you've helped that have made amazing strides and it it's um nice that a guy like yourself who's so busy with all the different things that you've got going um have the time to help the young guys and um you know at, at really at, at no benefit to you uh uh, for a lack of better term, you're just helping them because you want to see someone else succeed and and do well. Right. And I think that's pretty neat that you do that. Uh, tell me about the Hunt Quest uh, TV series uh, and and how that's going for you. And and tell the listeners a little bit about uh, your your quest in in this show, the Hunt Quest, and and how it's going down. Oh man, I'm I'm so proud. You know. You see a lot of different hunt shows, and, and you see things done, and it's turning into CG hunting, you know, like, like a Star Wars movie. All the graphics, all the rock and roll music, you know. It, to me, the, the art of storytelling has been lost in these newer hunting shows, and especially when, you know, guys set up in green screens and they narrate every piece of footage that happens. And I have, I've just had a vision for years of something that's more intimate that's more in that's more right there with the hunter you're telling the story in the field as it unfolds and you know nobody's really doing that much anymore and i mean there's some super successful shows and i'm not knocking any of them i'm just saying i had a vision of a different type of storytelling event if you will that occurs when a guy goes mono mono with a deer with a turkey with a duck with a hog whatever you know he just just telling a great story about going quail hunting. You know, you, you have good friends that go on a hunt, and you share that that friendship, that kindredship, if you will, of going on a hunting trip. That's something that's annual that happens year after year, and being able to convey that in a story and show that to the viewers is something that I think is embraced. And my show is doing well. Um, I'm super proud of it. Um, it's if you go, it's on Carbon TV. If anybody doesn't know about Carbon TV, it's it's an app that you can download. It's like similar to Netflix for hunting almost. Um, and we are if you if you scroll through the shows, Hunt um, Hunt Quest is ranking in the top thirty shows out of about three hundred shows. And you, I know that because the higher you are to the top of that those those listed shows, the better the views you are you're getting. And as well, it's get, it's gaining great traction on YouTube. I have it in two different outlets. Some people don't want to download an app, you know. They just want to go to YouTube and YouTube it. 
well, you can go to YouTube and just type in Hunt Quest, and we have um, eight episodes uploaded. And um, matter of fact, show number nine is going on tonight. I've got to get it uploaded, and it's going to be called Afternoon Osceolas. I'm sorry, Orange Blossom Osceolas, and it's a great hunt from a couple years back with a good friend of mine um, in Central Florida um, calling in an Osceola. It's a single ep- single hunt episode, and um, again, it's just telling a story. Um, I'm an, I'm kind of a I'm not saying I'm a purist, but I learned to hunt turkeys without decoys, and I don't hunt in blinds. I've killed one turkey in a blind, and that was because it was snowing and sleeting, and that was in Kansas last year, and that was the only way we could protect the camera gear and hunt. Um, I'm not knocking blinds. I'm not knocking decoys. Um, it's just there is other ways of successfully and consistently killing turkeys, and that's based on setup and quality, realistic calling, and that's what you'll see in Hunt Quest. And you'll see you know, adventures in deer hunting, um, there's a hog episode, like I mentioned before. There, it's not just turkey hunting, um, but it's just telling a great story. My son Jake is involved in uh, most of the episodes, and uh, there's nothing better than seeing a father and son out in the woods spending time together and documenting that on camera and showing and seeing that success and that elation and happiness when, when a harvest occurs or seeing um, the uh, the dismal failure when something goes awry, you know, when the gun don't get loaded, as in episode two, when we were in Oregon with Bo, we were on and off four-wheelers, and Jake forgot to load the gun. And Jake is in charge of that shotgun. That is his weapon. And Jake has been hunting since he was four years old, and he's 11, and he was being very safe. And we were, we were he was unloading the gun every time we got on the four-wheeler, and when we got off, he would chamber around, and we'd go try to you know, try set up or try to strike a bird. Well, and amidst all of the on and off the four-wheeler and covering ground, he forgot to chamber around. And the first turkey we caught up, if you'll watch that episode, Jake clicked on that gobbler that he would have had dead to rights because he is quite a good shot. <laughs> and the bird was 25 yards, and the gun goes click, and the shell was not in the chamber. So we document success. We document failure all along the way, and I think people embrace that because they're seeing not just the 180 bucks killed or not just the grand slams killed. You're seeing... Um, success and failure as it happens and as it unfolds and i think there's there there is a a an audience for that still out there right now so yeah i mean congrats on the success of that one question i would ask you is you know someone with as much experience as as you have and as good a caller as you as you you know as you can do and and you know you're very good at turkey calling a lot of us that just watch from afar, you know, I got to hunt with you, so I got to see it firsthand. But talk about, you know, a lot of people think that you just go to the woods and you're going to call up a turkey every single time. <laughs> Is that the case? Or, I mean, do you have birds that literally get ranked with you and, and you know, you throw everything at the, that you've got at them and it's just not going to work? I mean, I, I think right. I know the answer to it, but I think a lot of people just assume if you're, you know, an expert turkey caller like yourself, that every bird that, that, that hears you is going to come running straight to the call. <laughs> well, that is very flattering, Jay. And just for the record, I call every turkey that gobbles right to the end of the gun barrel. I'm, I've got 127% success rate. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got oceanfront property in Arizona, as George Strait yeah, coined. Exactly. No. Um, going back to my show, you'll see it, brother. It's the same. It's, it's that exact thing. Um, the cool thing about being good at, at calling is you have, and, and not just calling in, in segments and sequences, how you present the calls, um, you, and it's not just the calling aspect of it. And when, you, when you're well-rounded as a turkey killer, a serial killer, if you will, you're, you're, 
learning about setup positions. You're learning on repositioning on the turkey. You're learning on setting up and realizing you can't call him and getting in front of him. Um, you know, we everybody fails at turkey hunting. I don't care how good you are or how good you call. And I think if you did it perfectly every time and killed every turkey you called to and you didn't get humble once in a while, I don't think you'd enjoy it as much. I mean, I like killing turkeys, period. But I'd think if I killed every single turkey and to get my butt kicked once in a while and humbled once in a while, then I think it would not be nearly as challenging and as exciting as it is. So to answer your question, for the guys that are out there listening, guys, have a big, deep bag of tricks. You know, and that goes back to what we talked about 20 minutes ago, you know, being very, being decent at a bunch of calls and being really good at woodsmanship and knowing and patterning your turkeys and scouting your turkeys if you have that ability and, and knowing which locator to use. Do I use a crow? Do I use an owl? And knowing where do I set up on this turkey, um, the bigger and deeper the bag of tricks, the more success you will have. Don't get stuck in the one-dimensional rut. Be three-dimensional. Turkey hunting is three-dimensional. It's like comparing golf to bowling. Bowling, you have a gutter, two gutters, and a straight lane in front of you and 12 pins. Golf, you have 100 acres of, of undulation and rolling hills and rough and putting greens and fairways. It's super-duper three-dimensional game. And hunting turkeys, to me, is super-duper three-dimensional. And the more you can be three-dimensional and you can use an in in access and call upon all these different tactics, whether repositioning, getting in front of the turkey, um, gobbling at the turkey, yelping excited at the turkey, getting soft and coy at the turkey, calling to the hens if he's got hens. You know, the more, the more tactics you have and can employ, the more success you're going to have. If you go out there going, well, I can yelp and cluck pretty good on a box call, which goes back to your, one of your original questions, yeah, you're going to kill turkeys from time to time but you're not going to have the success rate that a guy is going to have that can yelp and cluck and cluck and purr and whine and cut and kiki run and gobble yelp and gobble and fighting purr. That guy's going to be one up on you almost every day of the week. As long as he halfway knows how to employ those calls from a vocalization standpoint, he's going to have a one up advantage on you. And you mix that with great woodsmanship skills and you have a turkey killer, period. So, you know, don't ever discount well-rounded turkey hunters and the ability to call, to set up, and to know the woods and, and to know turkeys and the biology, biology of turkeys. That's the guy that's going to kill lots and lots of turkeys. And it doesn't have to be a competition caller. I have to put that disclaimer out there. If a guy's, like I told you earlier, if he's just middle of the road with a bunch of different calls and knows when to use them and knows when to set up and how to set up, he's going to be deadly. For sure. In December, you, you launched something that... Uh I'm a big fan of, and that's the Turkey Tech with Scott Ellis, the app. So you came up and you, you designed your own turkey hunting, turkey calling app. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, I'm surprised that, it, that there, let's see, I guess my, my statement is I'm surprised there's not more of them out there. I'm surprised that someone hasn't done as you know, one, you, you really went in depth on this where you have live turkeys making the sounds and then you have you mimicking the sounds, talking about it. Mm -hmm. Tell the listeners about your app and kind of what started you to go down the road of, hey, I'm going to do an app on turkey calling. Well, I mean, you and I have known each other for years now. And one of the things that I pride myself that you have commended me on over the years is just 
which you mentioned with Bo Brooks earlier, which we're talking about Turkey Tech, um, Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2, my two DVDs that are out there for calling, is just is helping folks become better at what they do and, and become better turkey hunters and callers. Um, you know, there's a ton of turkey apps out there. And it's really ironic that you, you touched on the fact that there is nothing out there. There's one or two in my research that, that did give a little in-depth on the call itself maybe, but there is no instruction. There's a little bit of tips about the call, maybe what it is, and then there's a guy that's giving some call and calling that's middle of the road, you know, below average to average at best, which is still probably better than a lot of guys that, that may not know anything about turkey hunting or turkey calling. But this app, I tried to in, to embrace the full 360 spectrum on there's text-typed print tips about what the call is, when the hunter uses it, and when turkeys use it. So you have an understanding of that call and when it's used. It has, as you said, turkeys creating the sounds. It's got wild turkeys creating the sounds on audio. It has me creating the sounds on audio. And the best part is I have a pot call, a Woodhaven Vision Crystal that I'm doing pot call demonstrations on and instruction, and then I'm doing it on mouth calls. And it's full instruction on how to create the sound. And there's nothing else out there like it. Like you said, you caught it. I mean, when we started looking at this, we're going, man, there is, a, there is room for this. There's a place for this type of app in the turkey hunting realms because nobody has ever really done something in depth. It's just a guy calling, demonstrating a call. It's a guy calling that might talk or might have a little bit of a write-up about what the call is, and that's about it. And this is concise, to-the-point video instruction. The videos are like 90 seconds to two minutes long, and it's right to the point. It's like almost like mouth call magic on steroids, if you will. It's, um, it's right at your fingertips. It's right there for the user to download the video and go, I'm going to learn how to yelp on a pot call. I'm going to learn how to cut on a pot call. Hey, I want to learn how to cut on a mouth call. It's all there. And um, it's just, it's, a guy can literally take this app and download it. It's available on Google Play and on the App Store. And if a guy didn't know anything about turkey hunting and he read through this app and worked through this app for about a week, the man could go out to the woods and literally have a general idea how he's going to go out and kill a turkey. And there's not a lot of tools out there, in my opinion, that could teach somebody not only the green novice turkey hunter, but even a guy that's you know middle of the you know a, a mid-level caller or even an upper-level caller that might not take something from this app and be able to put it to use in the turkey woods. Much less the green novice turkey hunter that has no clue can learn about how to turkey hunt and go out there and have a, a good game plan together when he goes out to turkey hunt. And so I'm super proud of it. Um, turkey Tech with Scott Ellis, and it's. It is, it's legit, man. You know, <laughs> it's legit. It is legit. It's so expensive, <laughs> though. It's, it's, you know, it's in the thousands of dollars for the, for the app. That's the thing that blows me away. It's so expensive, right? I mean, I mean, you get, it's worth thousands of dollars, but, oh, wait, actually, no. It's only, how much is the app? Four ninety nine. It's four ninety nine. Yeah, four, yep. for, for less than a price of a cheeseburger, you can get an unbelievable opportunity to listen to one of the best. And then, Listen to real turkeys, and you know the written text. I think is important too because it it ties it all in. It, you know, some people can't just learn by hearing the real thing, and then that's why they have to read that, that that have to read it. But then they, you know, they don't vice comprehend person, it. Meaning, 
meaning they can read it, but they need to hear it. This has both, and I like the fact that it has you calling, it has real turkeys calling, and then you have written text explaining it. Exactly, and there's been an update that I don't know if you even realized. There is a recorder built into the app where the turkey hunter can actually record his own calling and play it back and play the me calling or turkeys calling as well and play the turkeys and then play their recording and play me and play their recording and match it all up together. So now the app has an update out right now that has a video or an audio recorder built into the app. It's amazing. I was going to... That was one question I was going to ask you about the app. And um, in, in creating this app, I mean, is there opportunity to add to this where down the road if you have, you know, new segments and such, um, can you add to this or do you have to go outside and create a whole new app? No, 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 no. You, it's amazing you asked this. And this is not even staged, folks, I promise. <laughs> no, we are already in the works of doing updates Maybe not this turkey season, but it's coming on the horizon. We're going to add more vocabulary to the instruction. We're going to add the kiki run. We're going to add gobbler yelping, jake yelping, the wine. There's, there's, we're going to add, hopefully, scenario-type situations where we're going to walk through the hunter off the roost. He roosts a turkey. The turkey gobbles. What do I do to this turkey that's on the roost? What do I do with this turkey that I've struck mid-morning and then I set up on him? How do I call to him? So we're going to work in situ uh, scenario-type tips and as well locators. We've also left crow calling, um, owl calling out of it, hawk screamers, coyote howlers. There's tons of other um, avenues just as far as locating turkeys in the morning and midday and late afternoon as well. So, yes, the, the app will be updated in the coming years or months and years and there will be more content added to the app. So, And it's no charge to get the update. You just simply go to your phone as, as you're, it's prompted to do updates on apps, you know, when you connect to Wi-Fi usually, and then you will update the new and current version of the app. And the newest already version is includes the, the voice recorder to be able to record yourself calling. Good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal as it is, and to know that you can – get updated uh, versions of it and, and get it when you add new sounds. Because wouldn't you agree, Scott, as you travel across the country and you've got, you know, Osceolas and Easterns and Rios and Merriams and Goulds for that matter, I mean, all of their sounds are a little bit different. So you may pick up some footage, you know, uh, on a Merriams hunt where you've got a, a hen uh, yelping, you know, excited cutting or something that might right. just be... A little bit different and so it would be pretty cool to have you know several scenarios here's a real hen that's you know doing XYZ and here's a Merriam's hen um, and I know you film all your stuff so I mean y you will constantly be coming across new audio that that you know is something that where you think people can learn from absolutely because I mean this is going to be touched I hope this app is being touched by turkey hunters far and near, and there's going to be guys that exclusively hunt Rios and guys that exclusively hunt Miriams and guys that exclusively hunt Osceolas or Easterns, or, and they may go down and hunt a Goulds. And as you well know from our hunt together, Goulds, Miriams, and Rios, hens, cluck and cut completely different than Osceolas and Easterns. They almost have no rasp when they cut. They pip. They have the high-pitched mm -hmm. pipping, cutting, and clucks. 
whereas you go to Osceola's and Eastern's and it's a sharper, more bassy, more raspy popping note. So there you go. I mean, Rios and Miriams and Gould hens tend to have a little more of a roll, maybe a little bit less raspy as a whole. So yes, there is, and the gobbles, as we all know, are, are, are distinctively different. I think I could pick out any of the five and just about, Osceola's and Eastern's a little bit tougher, but I believe between Rios and Miriams and Gould's, I believe you can distinctly hear differences in their gobbles. And um, there's the, 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 the sky's the limit with this app, and it's just going to continue to grow and evolve in the coming months and years. And um, it's, it's just really an awesome thing, an awesome tool for a guy to, to shallow the learning curve, as I, so, as I put it, um, and, and be able to access all this information and these tips and instruction and just go to the woods and have an idea how he wants to do it. You know, we, we want to grow the sport. We want to grow hunting. We want people to become um, better hunters, and we want people to, to more people to come to the sport. It's better for the sport. It's better for hunting. The more licenses that are purchased, the more money there is for conservation. The more money is to, in, to improve hunting areas and habitat and you know, it, it, there's an argument that, well, the guys, we don't want no more people hunting because it's going to hurt our hunting, you know, where I hunt on this public ground, whatever. But ultimately, we have to band together and stand together as hunters, and the more the merrier. At this point in time, in this juncture, with the Second Amendment being attacked like it is, the more hunters, the merrier. That's, and I'll leave it with that. That's great stuff. Um, I, I noticed that you're the Apex Ammo Pro Staff Manager. Um, Man, I have not shot uh, the TSS uh, ammo yet, the Apex ammo, but I'm hearing all about it, and everyone's ranting and raving about So tell us a little bit about the, there's listeners that, that probably haven't heard of it, but I'm hearing guys shooting 410s with, with nine shot, and, and TSS is tungsten steel shot, correct? Tungsten super shot. Super shot, okay. Sun, and explain what shot. that is from from a weight dynamic. Explain what that is. Well, I mean, in layman's terms, that little bitty number nine shot that people would laugh and balk at in tungsten or in TSS tungsten super shot is has the density like lead has a density of approximately ten point one grams per cubic centimeter. Tungsten super shot has 18.1 grams per cubic centimeter. So in layman's wow. terms, the, it weighs literally three times or twice, although we'll call it twice that of lead almost. So you can go to a smaller shot, which increases pattern density, and still hit with the same kinetic energy of a pellet almost twice its size in lead. And that is the basic science without going into a bunch of, a bu a bunch of technical terms and stuff that, too hard to explain in this podcast it is smaller but yet the same but more dense than lead thus having the more pellets you have the more dense the pattern you have thus the more the less room for error you have when you shoot your turkey it, okay from a from a metal standpoint is tungsten actually steel or is tungsten its own you know, metal metal characteristic. In other words, does it well, tungsten, stand alone? Well, tungsten, I think, is on the tungsten is on the element chart, I believe. Okay, um, so it is. Its but own. but it is an alloy. It is an alloy. Okay. It's not pure tungsten. Just to answer your question. Okay. 
I think okay. pure tungsten would be so expensive you wouldn't be able to produce it. As expensive as it is, you know, because the shells are not cheap, but you get what you pay for. It's, it's plain and simple. Um, when, I, but, but, when I first heard of tungsten, it, being a fly fisherman, we were using tungsten beads on, on, our, on our flies on a lot of our nymphs, and the tungsten beads would actually make those nymphs, you know, because it's heavier, tungsten's heavy, it, it's going to sink faster. And right. when I started hearing about this tungsten shot, uh, it makes total sense that you could use much smaller shot but get, I mean, I'm hearing it's just knocking turkeys flat off their feet. I mean, just absolutely knocking it's, them stone cold dead. It is, it is amazing. It's the best pattern money can buy, period. And obviously you need to experiment with chokes and you need to experiment with, with loads. Um, and if you reach out to Apex, myself, Robert McCormick, Jared Lewis, um, Jason Lonsberry, Nick Charney. Um, these are all guys that will, you, you can find us all on Facebook. And I can promise you, if the listeners out there want to learn a little bit more about it, find any one of us on Facebook. Message me. I've got a personal page and a fan page, which is Hunt Quest with Scott Ellis. And uh, Robert McCormick, again, Jared Lewis, Nick Charney, and Jason Lonsberry. And any, Devin Duncan is another one. Devin Duncan. Um, that will answer any questions, and we have a pretty good library of what already has been successful with constrictions and choke tubes and load weights and uh, shot sizes because we're running like from seven to nine, nine and a halves. And the main reason we're going as low as sevens is because some states do not allow shot any smaller than a seven. You follow me? So there's some. So yeah. We, we have a, if you go to the Apex website, there's a library that actually has every state and what their shot size restrictions are so you know what load you need to have to be legal. Um, but any of the names I mentioned, reach out to any one of us folks that are out there and you will answer your questions and we'll get you going in the right direction on what load and what choke to use for your particular gun. So, In your mind as, as Apex, and the TSS gains more traction. I mean, do you anticipate states changing some of their game laws as far as shot size, just because of the how lethal that that, that this shot can be, or do you think that sometimes uh, state agencies and stuff take a long time for those, you know, for the evidence, quote unquote, to be proven and for them to change something like that? Um, I want to say, Jay, that I've got a little. A little information, and I'm, I'm, don't quote me on this, but I want to say that DNRs have already been engaged with petitions and people about just what you're speaking of, about allowing a smaller size shot to be legal. Now, I'm not sure of the specifics because, you know, you're going to get into the fact that if you bring it down to eights being legal, is a guy going to run out there with a dove load and try to kill a turkey? Well, that may be the case. You know what I mean? So... But from yeah. my understanding, there's already been stuff in the works for, on some states to allow somewhat smaller shot. Because, I mean, there's a couple of states that go way back in history, if you will, to where it's like a six is the smallest shot you can allow. But I, I want to say a lot of those states have been up to seven, and that's why we create a number seven size shot. Because um, heavy shot, I mean, just, just, just talking about heavy shot and federal heavyweights, as competitors, I mean, those guys have been creating sevens in, for several years now. So I'm pretty sure seven is about the industry, the, the state standard anymore. 
but I, I'm not sure there's not a couple that are still stuck on sixes that are, are working to bring it to sevens. But don't quote me on that. You have to go to your state sure. DNR and and go check it out, folks. Don't quote me on that. I'm not one. I just got to make a disclaimer on that. But um, check your local laws and regulations and make sure what's legal. And I'm pretty sure that sevens will cover most states, if not all of them. Scott, I want to talk about last weekend's hunt and then your forecast <laughs> here coming up. Before we do that, I just want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider uh, for being the title sponsor of this podcast. And I want to remind you guys as listeners, if you're not already a GoHunt Insider member, uh, you can go to GoHunt.com forward slash Insider, follow the prompts, uh, click on the blue Join Now button, use the J. Scott promo code, and you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card automatically just for signing up. As you know, Go Hunt Insider has the best draw odds and statistics and all the harvest data for all the western states for you guys applying for all the different animals out there. I want to thank them for their support. Also, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, Jason Harrison and his crew, make sure to check out Kuyu.com. You can also uh, appreciate you checking out outdoorsmans.com. You can call them at 1-800-291-8065. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. And then phonescope.com. Phonescope makes the best digiscoping adapters where you can adapt any phone to any, any optic, whether it be a spotting scope or binocular. If you use the J. Scott 16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Scott, last weekend was the opening for Florida youth season for, uh, uh, I believe, Osceola and Eastern. I believe it's all, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Jake was able to go down and take advantage of that youth hunt, and uh, he, he got a nice Osceola. Talk a little bit about that hunt. Absolutely. Proudest moment in the history. I mean, more proud than the first turkey he ever killed. Jake has killed 11 gobblers and one, a single-season Grand Slam completed last year. So that's uh, one Rio, one Osceola, one Miriam, one Eastern, obviously. But he's killed uh, numerous Osceolas and Easterns. To this bird, to, to go back to your statement, Jake, Jay, um, um, the, that, that is the Osceolas down there. This is south of Highway 70, if you looked at a map. So it's... I'm in central Florida, and I'm about an hour and a half from Highway 70, which is the line of demarcation for the south zone. So this was the south zone youth hunt that started last weekend. This weekend, matter of fact, tomorrow I'm headed to turkey camp for the south zone opener, and then next week I'm headed to um, near Ocala, Florida, for Jake again, which is the normal, the rest of the state, if you will, youth hunt opener. And then the weekend after that, which is the 17th, is the regular season for everywhere south of 70 or north of seven, Highway 70. But okay. to go back to the hunt, um, it, it was the proudest moment I've had as a father and, and taking a little boy that started turkey hunting at four years old. You know, we talked about his competition calling. He, he is better than most grown men you'll meet in this lifetime on friction and on mouth calls. And um, I'm proud of that fact that he is just talented and been able to, I've been able to coach him to learn the language of the turkey and learn to produce those languages on all types of calls. And this year, he's 11 years old, and I just had something sparked me to say, tell Jacob, look, 
it's time for you to start calling your own turkeys. I don't know what the, I don't know why it was eleven and not twelve or not thirteen, but I know how accomplished he is and how many turkeys he's killed and how many he's witnessed get killed with me. And I just felt it was time for him to put his skills to the test with a gobbler and not and me sit back and be camera guy. And um, the long and the short of it is, we didn't hear any turkeys off the roost on Saturday morning. Jacob called in two hens and then a group of three hens. We went to another spot where we called up another hen. He called up another hen. And then we ended up back in the spot. We were hunting with Osceola Outdoors. Great place. I'd have to give him a little bit of love to go down to South Florida and hunt an early season Osceola. Um, Osceola Outdoors with Mike Tussie. And um, Mike had patterned these birds to some degree. He'd been running some cameras. And he knew there were a couple gobblers roaming in this area. And um, we ended up back in there about 3 o'clock. We got palmetto fronds cut. We kind of set up with a little bit of natural foliage, you know, a little natural blind. Got all the cameras set up and started blind calling about 3 o'clock. About an hour into the blind calling, I'm looking at my cameras. I'm looking at the setup. I'm framing Jacob. Um, I've got live action cutaway cameras that are on my tripod that point at Jake. I've got my main camera and then a wide-angle camera on top of my main camera. So we have three camera angles. And I'm looking at cameras. I look down at my phone. I'm so I ain't going to lie. I'm doing a little bit of social media work. <laughs> and I look back up, and we were set up in this field. We were on the edge of this really tight, thick oak hammock with cabbage palms. It was real nasty. It wasn't real open. We were set up on the edge of it. it we had good visibility, and we were tucked in real nicely. And uh, But you can only see 75, 80 yards. There was a lot of switchgrass, what we call switchgrass in Florida, just kind of bushy it's, it's, it's bushy grass thin stalk grass and um it adds a lot of cover to a field and it, and it affords the gobbler or a turkey any turkey the ability to slip into you before you realize he's there well like i told you i was setting cameras looking at cameras and i looked up and i said oh my god jacob big gobbler 75 yards and he immediately threw his mouth call in bird was 75 80 yards I got all the, all the three cameras. Slick, slick down, or is he full strut, or what's he doing? He's in full strut, and he's kind of with his head up, looking around. Mind you, we had just got done blind calling about 10 minutes prior to the, him showing up. So he heard us. He heard Jacob from a long distance and was starting. He, he knew there could be a hen in the area. And the reason why I say that is because he wasn't just walking in that field. He showed up strutting with his head up looking for these hens he had heard. So big gobbler, big gobbler. Jake slides in a mouth call. And I hate to say as easy as it was, Jake yelped to that gobbler three times, and he spit and drummed and strutted on a string right into about 25 yards, and I said, kill him. And Jake smoked the <laughs> gobbler at 25 yards with his Apex GT20 20-gauge loads which and, and shooting his Beretta 390A with a Indian Creek 555 choke. It was an epic hunt. And, I mean, it wasn't like a big engagement hunt where he worked in for 20 minutes and he had to call hard and call soft and call hard. But it was still done all by his own recognizance. And I never put a call in. He worked that gobbler in right in the gun range, and uh, and he made it happen. And so I couldn't be any prouder. And you'll see that air on Hunt Quest next season. It's, uh, it's all there. I'm super excited to bring everybody to it. Because, you know, you see a lot of kids killing turkeys on television shows. But you rarely see a, bur a kid actually calling in his own turkey. I don't know if I've ever actually witnessed it on any show. But Jake did it, That's and awesome. we got it on camera. Yep. And we're doing that it again. 
in two weeks. Yeah, for the other youth hunt, which is the normal season youth hunt, which is March 9th and 10th. We're going to a different spot, S&N Outfitters, with a good friend of mine, Chris Bowden. And um, we also, which ironically enough, we had got drawn, Jake got drawn for Lake George management area. And, and it just so happened, out of the blue, my buddy Chris called me. He goes, hey, do you guys want to, what are you doing for the youth hunt? And, and, I, and I told him, I said, well, Jake got drawn for Lake George management area. And I killed a bird in Lake George last season on that management area. And he goes, you know, I swear I've seen signs to this management area. And the long and the short of it is they've got properties that literally butt up to the management area. So we're going to be able to go from his property to the management area and, and vice versa, all because we have a quota hunt for the management area and he has property that butts up to it. So we're super excited. I really hope with this hunt that we get a bird that gobbles good. This bird never gobbled. I don't know if I mentioned that. He never made a sound. He showed up like a ghost, like an apparition, Jake yelped him right in, and he spit and drummed all the way in, but he never said a word. So I'm really hoping that a week from tomorrow we're headed to the woods, and we get on one that gobbles good, and that he can really engage the conversation with the bird answering him and not just calling to a bird that's, that's not wanting to gobble. So I'm super excited. What stage were the birds in um, as far as timing? Were they not quite going yet? Um, and how do you anticipate this weekend uh, you know, what's the weather, you know, any change in their behavior that you're expecting? Well, I'm super excited. Okay, February, this February in Florida, and it is the Sunshine State, we get that, but this, this February was the hottest February on record. We had over 23 days in the 80s. There was no relief in sight, and we are just blessed enough that tomorrow a cold front is coming in, and it's supposed to get down in the mid to upper 40s and low 70s for highs this weekend. And that, my friend, is for Florida, you can't ask for much more than that. I mean, I'd rather be in the 60s for a little bit cooler weather to be able to run and gun and not get so hot. But when you've experienced mid and upper 80s for the last month, to get in the low 70s for highs again is going to feel like a like a Arctic freeze. <laughs> so, yeah. so that being said, as hot as it's been, as long as it's been, I think this is going to be huge for the turkey, um, got for the gobbling activity and for their for their basic uh, um, how, how they're reacting and how they're working, I think this cool weather is going to supercharge them. I think it's going to create a gobbling frenzy because when they when they've been hot this long, it, it bears down on turkeys, especially down here. I mean, there's a hunt that's on on Hunt Quest right now. It's like season. It's the one that I just uploaded season uh, episode eight. And we were hunting in, in Central Florida for the youth hunt when Jake killed this turkey last year. And the, it is so hot, the turkeys are panting. If you'll watch the video, their beaks are open, and right below their beak in the upper part of their throat, you can see their, them, that part. I don't, I, I don't have the anatomy name for it, but it's literally pulsating because they're, trying, they're, they're panting, and they're trying to cool themselves down because it's so hot. So um, I think with this cool weather... To answer your question, I think it's going to be great for the gobbling activity this coming weekend. Um, I, uh, as far as how they reacted, Jake's bird was alone last weekend. We went out and scouted for my buddy Mike Tussey in Osceola Outdoors Sunday morning since we had got the bird. We went out Sunday morning to help him do some scouting, and we went on a different piece of property. Those birds gobbled good on the roost, hit the ground gobble for 30, 40 minutes on the ground. Um, we witnessed a lot of multiple gobblers. 
there was a group of two, there was a group of two, and there was a single gobbler, and then there was three gobblers that never actually gobbled. They just drummed on the limb and drummed on the ground and strutted and never gobbled. So I'm seeing it's hard to say with that. In the small area we were in, I would say that the gobblers are probably kind of still bat-sort up a little bit. Um, there was a lot of hen talk, kikis, a lot of kiki runs, a lot of uh, excited yelping with cutting. So I think we're at a point where they're still, even as hot as it's been, and even though the season is, is about to come in day after tomorrow, I think that they were still somewhat flocked up. Um, and I think the gobblers are still somewhat bachelored up. So I think it, this, I think the cool weather is going to engage them for us down here, engage them to start even breaking up more and becoming even more hot to trot, if you will, and, and ready to breed. Good stuff, good stuff. What else? Um what else do you have on your plate coming up uh, this spring with all the other turkey hunts? I mean, you're probably going all over the place. I'm hitting several states this year, Jay. I'm 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 tentatively trying to get a super slam. It's not something that I have to do in three years or two, or five years or even ten years, but I'm trying to check off states that I have not hunted yet and killed birds in, and. Um, so I'm, I'm headed to uh, Georgia in a couple weeks, then South Carolina, then North Carolina, then Missouri, then Wisconsin, then possibly New York, and uh, that may I may I may finish it up in New York. I'm not sure 100 percent, or I think I'm finishing up in Wisconsin in in mid May, and after that, you know, the seasons are still running for a few weeks. I may I may concoct something if my wife Kim will let me go. But but I'm hunting a lot of eastern states, and I'm checking off, I think, three states, Lord willing, and the creeks don't rise, that I'm able to, to make it happen. I'm checking off two or three more states in, in quest of that super slam. But not going out west, and I, I don't have any plans for Miriam's or Rio's this year. I'll probably regret that once, once it's all said and done because <laughs> it's so fun to hunt Rio's and Miriam's just because you can, if you're a caller and you enjoy calling turkeys, and you have the ability to truly embrace the and the romance of calling a turkey. They're fun to hunt because you can just let it all hang out, and you're not in you're not in any real risk of overcalling Miriams and Rios or Goulds for that matter. You know you can't really you truly cannot overcall them like you can in Eastern yeah. Osceola, and that's right. um yeah. So, but I don't think I've got anything in the books. I may regret it, but I don't have any any uh, Western hunts on on the books this year. So. Well, it sounds like an awesome spring. Uh, buddy, I appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, I'd like to give you a chance to uh, let people know um, exactly how they can reach you and uh, find out more about you. And, you know, definitely encourage them to check out the, the TV show. Definitely encourage them to check out the app. And just thank you for all that you do for uh, us guys out here that are wanting to learn and, and uh, just really appreciate the education over the years with, you know, years of, YouTube videos and lots of instructional to now doing this app and, and the TV show is pretty awesome. Uh, go ahead and let the listeners know the best way to follow, follow along. I really appreciate it, Jay. It's always a blast talking with you, my friend. Um, I have a YouTube channel, which you just simply type in Scott C. Ellis, and that's where you can find Hunt Quest. You can find Hunt Quest on Carbon TV as well. Um, please check out the show. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, Turkey Tech. My new app is found at the Google Play Store and on the App Store, the Apple App Store. Um, I have Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2, which are my DVD instructionals. They're available at scottellishunting.com, my website. 
Um, I'm on Instagram, Scott underscore C underscore Ellis. On Instagram, um, I have a fan page that is Hunt Quest with Scott Ellis. And I've even got a personal page that's just Scott C. Ellis. Um, and you can hit me up on there. Um, I'm always available for contacting. Um, I've never turned away a single person asking for any advice or any help. That's just been part of If my legacy is anything, it's not winning turkey titles or killing tons of turkeys. It's, it's I hope is truly just helping turkey hunters become better turkey hunters. And if I can do that, then I, I, if I go down in history, and when, my laid in the gray, when I'm laid six feet under, hopefully many, many, many years from now, is that, man, that guy, Scott Ellis, he really helped a lot of people out and taught people how to become better turkey hunters. Well, buddy, I know you've helped me, and I really appreciate it. It was great seeing you in Nashville, um, and I just look forward to seeing you again. Hopefully we can get on another hunt one of these, one of these days. And um, congrats with Jake, and look forward to seeing you guys uh, uh, knock him dead this weekend and next as well when Jake gets after him again. So until then, God bless, and uh, I'll link up uh, your different uh, platforms and stuff where people can find you as well in the show notes. And uh, thanks to the listeners for tuning in, and thanks for Scott for your time. Thank you, Jay. It's always great, brother. I appreciate it. we got to get out and chase another turkey together soon, my friend. Sounds good, buddy. Well, God bless. Take care. God bless you, brother. Bye.